Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Hell. Ah, welcome back to Herd Tell. We missed you. Glad to have you back. Hope you and yours are well wherever you are across the street or around the world. Thank you so much for giving us the most important thing you have, your time. And we want to do what we always do, never waste it. We want to talk about things that matter, turn down the noise of the news cycle, get to the things that we need to know to better discern the times that we live in. A couple stories we want to cover today. Uh, we're going to talk about the yellow freight closure. This is something near and dear to my heart. I worked in the trucking industry, the LTL industry. Even when I was doing that almost a decade ago now, we knew yellow was in trouble. It's the third largest of those kind of companies. It's an important thing. A lot of people are out of work come the Monday morning that this show is releasing in the year of our Lord 2023, whenever you are listening to this program. Some important things we want to mention about that and keep it focused on the people that lost their jobs. Uh, also, we end on a good note like we always do. This story is amazing. A math teacher who donated a kidney to one of his students. Also on the program today, one of our favorites, frankly, somebody who's responsible for this program even exists and Stephen Kent Consumer Choice Center is joining us going to talk about the FTC how they have been going after things like video game manufacturers and other things the current director of that government body is 0 for 4 and not doing well with what that agency is supposed to do we're going to talk about all that plus he is one of those people who works really hard to bring some positivity to the interwebs. We'll talk about his projects uh, at Walk the Way and things like that. Stephen Kent on the program, really good friend, been very important to my media career and a lot of other people's. Excited to have him back on the program today. But first, I want to start with talking about, <laughs> let's have some grown folk talk, okay? There's been a lot of talk about small towns. Now, this comes off the Jason Aldean song and video that stirred up a lot of mess. And then people turned that into their culture war priors and everybody got on their ramparts and started throwing stuff. Then people started trying to claim what country music is and isn't. That's a little bit subjective to the eye of the holder. I'm, I'm all for three chords and the truth too, but let's be honest, the pop stuff sells well too. This thing about a small town, look, I grew up in a small town. I'm from a small town. I'm proud to be from a small town, Somersville, West Virginia. Population, 2,800, give or take, depending on what's going on. When they're building a pipeline, that'll bump up a couple hundred. When the pipeline ends, that'll go back down a little bit. It's kind of a touristy town because Somersville Lake, largest lake in the region is there. But the population's been pretty steady for most of my life. It's a small town by any possible measure. Most of the time growing up, I went to church about 15, 20 minutes away in Heiko, which isn't even really a town. It's just a spot on the map. There's a gas station and a church and a post office and campgrounds and a couple of rafting companies, but there's not actually a town there. How small of a town do you want to talk about? But the discourse on small town has kind of gotten a little bit out of hand. So let's have some grown folk talk about it. Yes, there's a lot of good things about growing up in a small town. When I go home, no matter what I ever accomplish, I will still be Alan's boy because everybody still knows me based on my father. or Maybe they know my mom's very large and extensive family. We live on the old home place that my maternal grandmother lived in. Most people know my family more than they know me, so it's, oh, you're Ken to so-and-so, or you're Rocky's nephew, or Charlie's nephew, or June's nephew, or something like this. That's how it goes in a small town. That's a positive thing. There are advantages to growing up rurally. We didn't worry about a lot of things folks had to worry about now. We actually took guns to school when we had a hunter's ed class and put them in our locker, and nobody thought the different of it back in the 90s because we would have hunter's education after school. Deputy came in and taught the course. We brought our weapons. I mean, that would be unimaginable to most folks. But that's how we grew up. 
It wasn't any big deal if we all went camping in the woods. Somebody said, make sure you take a pistol with you in case a bear or something comes up. That w- That's a very w- different way of growing up than a lot of people ever did. There's not a perfect thing to a small town either, though. Some of the discourse on this song with Jason Aldean, and let's let's just stop and pause here for a second. Jason Aldean does not write most of his own music. This was written for him. It was purposely designed to hit certain buttons in the culture war. The video was designed to get attention, and it worked, and everybody jumped on it. And it either became the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever for the people who want to argue about that sort of thing. So the folks that are into that sort of thing, they really like that sort of thing, or they were really against that sort of thing, and they absolutely got their fill of that sort of thing. So much of their fill that they could drink from the saucer because their cup of wanting that sort of thing floweth over. And it's ridiculous. Small towns have advantages. They also have problems. There's an opioid epidemic in my small town. Over in Heiko that I mentioned earlier, it's even worse. And things can get ugly there. There's crime. There's the opioid crisis. There's poverty. We're still in Heiko, West Virginia, Fayette County. I write for the Fayette Tribune, the local paper there. I write a column almost every week there. I'm privileged to do so. We've been trying for... 30, 40 years to get potable running water out of the faucets. You get sulfur sludge. That's a problem. But don't think things like violence doesn't touch us. My own cousin and two of his friends were gunned down on a place called Stringtown, which you can't even Google and find, but I could drive you to the spot. Shot down in a disagreement that may or may not involve other criminal activity. We'll never really know for sure. And a messy court case. Three people killed on one of those country roads that we sing about and love about. There's plenty of bad up through there. Go back in time to the 30s. My favorite drive in the world's up and down Route 60 between small towns, between Heiko and Anstead, going down to Golly Bridge and Glen Ferris, one of the most beautiful places anywhere on God's earth. And I've been everywhere. It's my favorite drive. But I also drive down that mountain and remember that the Hawks Nest Tunnel was built under that, and they killed hundreds, maybe more than a thousand workers, dry drilling out the silicon under it and killed those workers on purpose. And there's a lot of dirty in small towns, like everywhere else, whether it's an inner city or the suburbs or the Manhattan fanciest districts you can think of or places in San Francisco or if you're in Omaha or the Pacific Northwest or San Antonio, Texas, where I spent quite a bit of time. No matter where you are, there are going to be certain kind of problems and there's no way to get around that. This discourse over small towns has been insulting, broad brushing, and it's been bringing out the absolute worst in people. And the way you fix this is to do what I just mentioned. Focus on the people. People in small towns and people in big towns and people in medium-sized towns and people on the steppes in Mongolia to Great Britain to wherever else you want to think of. Start with them being people first and not stereotypes first. Yes, we can be proud of being from our small town. I am. I'm always proud of being from there. God willing, I plan on being buried there. Most of my family's still in that immediate area somewhere. We've been on our mountain for over 200 years now. I take great pride in that. But in taking pride in that, you also have to understand there's problems that come with it. And not everybody got to do the good parts that I did. And there was a lot of people that grew up right beside us, within earshot of us, our stones throw away from us, that we think was so great of growing up up yonder that had it a whole lot worse in the same places. You cannot broad brush these things. And just because you write a song about it and purposely make it to sow division and to get people's blood pumping for bad reasons, to get them fired up for not good reasons, that's not okay. That's not the best of being a small town. I don't care if you like the song or not. Song doesn't bother me. I'm not going to boycott anybody. I'm not going to get upset about it. I'm not going to waste my time on the song. But people's reactions tell you something when it comes to things like small town pride. A lot of bad stuff happens in small towns, too, because they can be insular. They cannot understand their wider place in the world. They can have power structures involved that are not healthy because there's not a lot of outside influence. Well, I know all about small towns. I'm for them. I'm proud to be from one. I'd like to get back to it just as soon as I possibly can and hope to someday. I love my small town, but if you love something, you're also honest about what it is and you hold it accountable and you don't just hold it up and wave it at other people as some kind of perfect thing when it's not. I've long said folks in West Virginia, the hillbillies, some of the things we've gone through, they have a lot in common with a lot of people that grew up very differently. 
they probably have more in common with some inner city folks and some rural poor folks and people overseas that are in desperate places in bad situations. Folks in Appalachia can probably relate to them a lot more than some of the rich folks in cities. That's all true. But they're still people. Don't let a label like small town or your pride in where you come from start veering you into things like ignorance and bigotry and hatred and them versus us. Yes, there's some them versus us. But in the end, if you keep it about people, it'll alleviate the sharp edges of that and you can start working for something common good. It doesn't make as good a selling music video, but it might actually make a difference where we actually live, whether that's a small town or not. More Hurtel right after this. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. Now, this one hits close to home because I worked in the trucking industry as a operations supervisor and worked in management. I I enjoyed my time working in the LTL side of the trucking industry. I did. I really enjoyed that job. I'm also somebody that lost that job. Um, I was laid off permanently, which basically was fired because the company I worked for got bought out by a bigger company. And then what they did was they did a lot of staff cuts. And I was one in my bucket, like 360 of us nationwide of a certain kind. You know, it didn't have anything to do with me personally. It didn't matter how hard you work. I was just a number on a spreadsheet. They decided they needed X amount of people gone and you're gone. You get that phone call. I happened to get that phone call while I was on the way to go get surgery, but we'll talk about that some other time. It's cold. It hurts. So when I read stories like what's happening with yellow trucking, which has almost a hundred year history. If you go all the way back through Yellow, Roadway, Holland, all the various companies and banners that have been under that umbrella over the years, you're talking almost a hundred years of the transportation industry. And it's been on its last legs for a long time. When I was working in that industry in the uh, early to mid 2010s, everybody knew Yellow was going under. There, there was a lot of reasons for this. I'm not going to rehash 20, 30 years of mismanagement to you, but there was a lot of mismanagement. There's a lot of really bad business decisions. There was a lot of really bad connections and things like that. But long story short, the trucking industry is a very difficult thing. And as you see all these stories about the trucking industry, the biggest thing I want you to keep in mind right now, though, is not the fight between the union and the company and not what the company bosses and all did that. There'll be time for all that. The LTL side alone is 22,000 people. If you factor in the 3PL and the logistics side and all the office personnel, you're talking almost 30,000 people. On a Monday morning, that means there's 30,000 people that don't have a job today that had one last week. That should hurt. And that's where the focus on all that should be. We talk about policies and big things with companies and mismanagements and all this stuff, but what it really means is people lost their jobs. And I've been one of them where they got laid off. It's not fun. It sucks. And there's not another twenty-two to 30,000 immediate jobs for those folks, probably at the same levels and the wages and all the compensation because most of those were union jobs, at least the 22,000 LTL ones are. There's not enough of those out there for the people that are missing them this morning. So when you see headlines like this, yes, we can talk about the politics and the business and the economics and all that. Take at least a day and just think about those people, those families, folks that lost 20s and 30 years worth of retirement and pension benefits, folks that don't have a job, folks that really don't know what they're going to do tomorrow. And most of it's not through any fault of their own. We got to keep the human side of these stories intact. Otherwise, we're going to start losing the plot when we really do go to talk about the policy stuff because we forget the important things. Every news story is a people story when you get to the bottom of it. And big stories with big companies like this, you lose the people stories fast. But for those 30,000 people who don't have a job this week that had one last week, 
It's all about the people. And it should be for us, too. More Hurtel right after this. Welcome back to Hurtel. Okay, I'm so excited to talk to this guy because he's been a friend for a good long time. It's also his fault I have a podcast. We'll tell you that story some other day. Uh, he is now with the Consumer Choice Center. You know those folks. They've been on this program many, many times. We love working with them. He's got a great book out. We'll make sure we bring that up in a minute. Mostly, he's just a really good guy. Also, games on occasion. We'll get into that in a second. Stephen Ken, how are you, sir? Very good, Andrew. Nice to be back on the show. Great to see you. Real quick, let folks know that, because um, they haven't seen you in a bit, you're now with the Consumer Choice Center doing stuff with it. You wrote the book. You got a lot of stuff going. Just real quick, introduce yourself to folks that haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a media professional and political writer. I used to uh, run media and PR for Young Voices, uh, an organization with your, which your listeners should be uh, quite familiar. I, I used to be in sort of consulting for helping people start podcasts. I think that led to the birth of this show, which is pretty exciting. And now I'm the head of media for the Consumer Choice Center. So uh, helping our advocates and writers all around the world speak to different media outlets and larger audiences about you know, our, our fight against the nanny state, government micromanaging every aspect of your life and trying to make decisions for you. In addition to that, I'm also sort of a self-help and philosophy writer, and it led me to writing, uh, you know, my true baby, How the Force Can Fix the World, Lessons on Life, Liberty, and Happiness from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. It's just sort of my love letter to Star Wars as a, a guide to living well. And uh, I, I've, I'm still out and talking about that book all the time. As you should. It's great. I've got it right here. I actually got my copy in a bookstore and it's just really cool to buy a book from somebody, you know, in the bookstore in the wild, just accidentally mm -hmm. find it. That's really cool. And I appreciate it. It's a great book. We'll talk about the the stuff you do with that in just a little bit. Um, also, I know from the Young Voices Day, he's telling the truth. He sent me, he's like, have you thought about being Young Voices? I was like, I'd love to be in Young Voices. And he's like, oh, you're too old. And then a couple of weeks later, we figured <laughs> down the road a little bit, we figured out, he's like, oh, well, you just need a podcast. Steven, I don't have a podcast. Like, well, just go make one. Like, okay, so here we all are, big, happy family. That's that's the simple the simple advice. Like, just go just go make one. Just do it. Just go make uh, one. But it worked young, out. Young, I appreciate voice, young you. voices gets older and older every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to go to alumni status because we were really pushing um, – <laughs> We were pushing credulity there, but a great organization, very proud. And I get to publicly thank you for what you've done for me in my career doing all this writing and media stuff. So thank you very much, sir. Um, let's put your consumer choice hat on real quick, though. You've been writing a lot about the FTC, Federal Trade Commission. Now, mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I get tickled a little bit because here's the problem. I, I know we all just, there's a lot of folks that just want to eliminate every government. Say, well, you can't do that. You need them for something. The FTC has a role. They have an important job if they were doing it correctly. The current leadership is not doing it correctly. The current leadership is busy losing court cases. They're 0 for 4 on antitrust specifically. Let's start with the nomenclature, though, because you've been covering this quite a bit over the last few months. Every time a big company buys another big company, that is not automatically antitrust and or monopoly. Those are the two words that get thrown around on social media a lot. Those have very specific legal definitions. However, you start putting ideology on it, you start putting politics on it, you start putting things Congress wants to do like control big tech, like control AI, like control gaming. All of a sudden, those words start getting used as a cudgel. So let's just start with the nomenclature. What is and isn't antitrust and monopolies, and why is it getting abused by this particular leadership group at the FTC? Yeah, well, just to keep it simple for anybody listening, you know, antitrust and monopoly concerns really present themselves when corporate mergers and acquisitions, corporate expansion, the size of a company begins to pose a threat to competition in the marketplace for any particular industry in a way that might hurt consumers. So just a hypothetical example, since everybody was very uh, familiar with the vaccines of Moderna and Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, right? So a bunch of the, the big pharma heads. 
if all of these companies were to merge under the fire banner, all three of those big competitors, and then be one big super company, uh, you would all of a sudden have an incredible lack of competition at the highest levels of pharma. You would have an ability for that company to ring up their prices because there's no other company offering lower prices for the same drugs and services. Uh, and this kind of practice has happened throughout history, whether it be from oil uh, and the big oil industry to communications, phones and telecoms to now there's a lot of discussion about antitrust and monopoly when it comes to the big social media companies or big tech. Um, so that is really what a, a antitrust or monopoly concern is. There has to be a lack of competition created that hurts consumers for it to be legitimate. Now, let's take this example of the most recent case. You were talking, look, you're a gamer. You somehow have time in your busy schedule to actually still play games. I don't. I don't know how you do that. But Microsoft bought out Activision Blizzard. Blizzard's a big name in gaming. Activision, I'm old enough to remember when those were on the Atari cartridges. Yes, I'm that old. Mm -hmm. Microsoft is obviously one of the big tech companies in the entire world. Is, was there any version of this where it wasn't just, oh, Microsoft's involved, we got to step in and make a scene out of this? Because that's kind of how it felt, because there's no way by the definition this was anywhere close to being antitrust or a monopoly. They went after this as an antitrust. Just the size of the gaming, the slice of the pie in the gaming industry, this wasn't even close mm -hmm. to being an antitrust issue. It's just a big multi-billion dollar merger. But Microsoft's kind of the biggest dog on the block. And when you have people that want to weaponize government, they tend to attack the biggest dogs on the block, Walmart, Amazon, Microsoft. That's how it looked on the outside. Do you think there's credence to that criticism? Uh, I absolutely do. Biden picked a FTC chair in Lena Khan, a 33, 34-year-old Yale graduate who has a long track record of arguing in her, her briefs at Yale and throughout legal school, uh, law school that... Uh, antitrust law is is too small-minded, that it needs to be expanded in scope to encompass not just consumer harms and competitive threats, but just broadly the role of corporations in society. Uh, Lena Khan atop the FTC is somebody who is enacting Biden's desire to see the corporate sector knocked down a peg, whether or not it, it, it comports to federal law around antitrust. You know, people who think about the, the society like this, they really believe that there needs to be a heavily managed balance of power between the government and the private sector. And so Lena Khan's job, as it has been described by her, is to kneecap the corporation even when they are in compliance with law. So Microsoft is acquiring Activision Blizzard. Again, several billion dollar deal. Activision Blizzard makes video games, Candy Crush and Call of Duty. Microsoft, not really so much. They're a console maker. So they are acquiring the video game maker and the developers and bringing them underneath their umbrella where they make the Xbox. Now, Xbox only represents a, a small sliver of the console market globally. The big dog in the house is Sony PlayStation, who has a 70% market share internationally. I'm going to underline that again. 70% market share internationally, Sony PlayStation. The rest is between Nintendo and Xbox. So the idea that was ever an antitrust or consumer threat or a competitive harm by this acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Xbox was uh, purely imaginary. And that's why they lost very sorely in court in San Francisco when they brought forward an antitrust federal lawsuit against Microsoft. Religion is at the intersection of our 21st century life, even if we don't express a faith. At a time when it seems that religion isn't as prevalent as it once was, it still leaves its mark everywhere. As a pastor, I know that religion isn't something I just do on a Sunday, but it's found in every nook and cranny of my life. Sexuality, politics, social media, the economy, war, nationalism, all have some kind of religious angle to them. And as a communicator, I want to find the stories that can help people understand this part of our society that is so important to so many. Hi, 
I'm Dennis Sanders, and I am the host of Church and Maine. Church and Maine is a podcast about the journey of faith and where it intersects with modern life. I look at faith with a journalist's eye, asking the who, where, what, why, and how religion affects some of the major issues of the day. Join me as we journey together. You can listen to Church in Maine podcasts at the website churchinmaine.org or on your favorite podcast app. I look forward to seeing you. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics, from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find the Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. One of the things, Stephen Kent joining us, we're talking about the FTC a little bit here. You know, we, especially folks on the right, I'm guilty of it too. We just bash government constantly. There's a lot of really um, good people that work in government. There's a lot of really competent people that work in government. We focus on the bad ones because we should. You pointed it out though. Traditionally, the FTC has been a pretty good organization when it goes to court. They have something like a 74, 75% win rate when they go to court. Historically, they usually know what they're doing when they bring these cases. Mm -hmm. Chair Khan, however, and the, the sign, the placard of the hearing I was watching says Chair Khan for, you know, Chairwoman Khan. And I start thinking tailspin and sheer Khan. And I'm like, well, no, he'd be really uh -huh. good in that job, actually, right? <laughs> Lena Khan. You know, with all due respect to her, she's 0 for 4 now. You just brought it up. She's somebody who did a lot of theory on this, especially progressive theory. A lot of her writings, if you go back, she's written a lot about kind of the Gilded Age when corporations really did need to be reined in, right? The mm -hmm. 20s, the teens, when they really were just running roughshod over everybody. That's where she did a lot of her research. But now that research and her ideology is going to the actual courts and the actual laws, and she's 0 for 4. Shouldn't someone and the Biden administration actually announced this past week, they're going to put some new standards in place because they're starting to feel the criticism now. It's pretty obvious that the ideology and the theory of it is not matching the legal system as it exists today. When you go over four after having mm -hmm. a organization that has been pretty good about taking on, there's some exceptions, but overall, historically, pretty good about bringing suitable antitrust cases and needs to. Your organization yeah. is not called the Corporate Consumer Center. It's called the <laughs> Consumer Choice Center because corporations do need reeled in by government occasionally. Yeah, they absolutely do. Uh, corporations do not always act in the best interests of consumers. Uh, they do have a sort of baked-in incentive in the free market system to pursue value for their shareholders, and that sometimes puts them at odds uh, with uh, what is best for the consumers on the ground and government has a role and that's why the FTC exists to enforce law and be able to make proper assessments of when consumer interests are harmed and when competition in the marketplace is harmed because a corporate merger is not always in the best interests of everyday people. Um, this just isn't one of those cases when it comes to Microsoft and the FTC. Um, you know, Lena Khan Again, she has a strategy here, which is to lose in court at the consumer or at the taxpayer's expense and keep losing until Congress and the progressives in the con in the Congress receive the message that the law needs to change. There is some intentionality here to bringing cases that she does not 
have any chance of winning. And so that's kind of the, the really shocking part about this whole thing is there's not much evidence that the FTC ever thought that they were able to win or that these companies were actually in violation of the law. They are making a point extracting costs from Microsoft and from Activision Blizzard, basically acting as toll collectors, goblins under the bridge, making you pay a toll before you cross. And in this case, it is a toll to government for legal fees for you to expand the size and scope of your company. It's incredibly unethical. It should be illegal. Uh, and Lena Khan and the FTC need to be held accountable. Stephen Ken joining us. Now, this is interesting what you say because that's the enumerated power of Congress. They're supposed to have oversight over the executive and people like the FTC. They're supposed to be the ones that reel them in. They're the ones that are so, so if we had a functional Congress, which we do not have, I'll just go ahead and you know proffer that up front. They would be the ones reeling this in. But now you have her sitting in a congressional hearing recently, and they're talking about expanding it. They're talking about looking at defense stuff. They're talking about looking at, so not only are they, for lack of a better term, failing upward with their agenda with this stuff. Now they're talking about looking at defense stuff. They're talking about looking at telecommunication. They're trying the new thing from the White House is they want to put the FTC in charge of some of the AI regulations that they're pushing, although they <laughs> signed a voluntary agreement. We all know how jawboning works with government. Voluntary start, that's the first step in going to what they really want you to do later on. There's no version of this where this isn't a great expansion of the FTC and it's something that we should really pay close attention to, and nobody really seems to be. No, we should be paying close attention. The role of government needs to be held in check, and progressives and Congress, in currently in the White House and in these federal agencies, they are committed ideologues when it comes to the idea that these agencies should do more and be involved in every aspect of people's lives. You know, Lena Khan, one of her primary targets before she leaves office at the FTC, is to kneecap Amazon Prime and the ability of Amazon to provide cheap generic products for Prime members. I don't know about you, but I am not offended as a consumer when I go on to Amazon Prime Marketplace and Amazon prioritizes some of their cheap generic goods like batteries, right? I need I need a new uh, new slot of 20 AAA batteries. There's Duracells, there's Energizers, and Amazon will often put at the top of their listing the generic brand with Amazon's logo slapped across the top. This is actually Lena Khan's big target and a, a suit that is forthcoming. Uh, you should expect it by at least the end of this year. And their goal is to make Prime Day on Amazon Prime more expensive for consumers uh, for reasons that really remain unclear. Uh, there is plenty of competition on Amazon market, uh, but there is not really a consumer benefit in getting rid of generic goods. You know what the tell on this is, Stephen Ken joining us? We were joking about young voices. I'm, I'm 43, okay? I can take every argument against Amazon being made right now and apply it to Walmart in the 90s because it's the exact mm -hmm. same arguments. And it's mostly, the technology has changed. It's mostly the same arguments against big tech as well. It's the same because it's an ideologically based argument and it's not completely based on that. I'm not saying Amazon doesn't need to be regulated because of their work practices. Absolutely, they do. All big companies will push the limit to the absolute extreme. That's not what I'm saying. But I heard mm -hmm. the same arguments about Walmart. It's the same. They pick the biggest dog on the block and they go after them for the ideological argument and the consumers get lost, you know, not to play to brand, but it is your brand. It's the consumer that gets lost when the government and these corporations get into these fights like this, especially when it's not over facts, but about an ideology and continuing an argument that's been going on for decades and decades. It is interesting how uh, on the left and right, there's been a lot of shuffle in who defends kind of these big businesses and, and who's adversarial to them. Of course, Republicans and Democrats trade places when it is advantageous for them. Uh, and you will see that Republicans and Democrats sometimes are on the same page when it comes to regulating big tech. And you know, maybe that there, maybe there are future and present cases in which there needs to be regulation of big tech for some reason or another, but there needs to be a tangible reason, at least from my perspective, as to why everyday people are going to be hurt when it comes to their, their pocketbooks and their well-being.
Stephen can't join us. Okay, that's enough politics. Let's talk something positive. Um, you wrote the book. You've become kind of the Star Wars whisperer that bridges Star Wars and politics and life. And are you a guru yet? Do you have to get like a license to be a guru? You do this life advice stuff. Are you quite a guru There's yet? You're getting close. There's probably some kind of occupational license for uh, for Star Wars guruism, uh, and I, I hope to one day achieve it. But I've never found out who is the gatekeeper. So if someone could show me, that would be great. The book's great. I've got it. How the Force Can Fix the World. You've also started a different kind of podcast. You've had a couple different versions of podcasts, Beth, <laughs> Beltway Banthas, which I can't say because I don't do bees because I'm a hillbilly at heart. And then you had, you know, This is the Way. Talk about the response to this because it's amazing. It's like every time you take a step in that direction, not just the Star Wars stuff, because obviously that's a very fanatical fan base and it's built in, but people really do want positive stuff to go along with understanding the culture and politics and current events and things like that. And and some folks can find it silly that they find it in sci-fi. But even if you go back and we've talked before, you go back to what George Lucas based Star Wars on, where he was looking at the old Kurosawa films and the serials and that sort of stuff that inspired him. There's a lot of universal principles in there of people just want positive stuff. And you've seemed to tap into that really, really well. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Beltway Banthas was my, you know, my my love of Star Wars and politics combined and allowed people to tune into the podcast and sort of get into the weeds of what the political messages of Star Wars really are. My new project on Substack is this is the way.substack.com where you know, I, I mine my favorite movies, TV shows, and books for insights on how to live a more virtuous and, and good and well-ordered life. The podcast extension of that just launched this week. It is called Walk the Way, and it is on anywhere you find podcasts, um, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, you can find Walk the Way, and, and it's basically just sort of a, a daily piece of advice on how you can live a better life, reminding you of some of your, your favorite stories. So today, we just produced an episode on how when you are going through life, you never know when you're going to be tested. You never know any situation that it might be an opportunity for you to live out some of your your professed morals and virtues. And, you know, I, I had an experience when I was at a conference a, a couple of days ago when I spent some time in an Uber with a stranger. And I didn't know who this stranger was. And I didn't really put on my best face. I wasn't my best self. I wasn't warm. I wasn't really welcoming. I wasn't talkative when this person wanted to be talkative because I, I didn't know who this person was. And so I just didn't really feel like giving that piece of myself and that time. I was tired. Uh, and I left with a business card from that person only to find out a couple hours later that this person's kind of a big deal, <laughs> you know, kind of like a big CEO, someone who could really be, you know, helpful for me to know and, and to network with uh, in my career. And I wish that I had behaved a little bit better, honestly. It's not that I was bad, but it was that I wasn't my best. And I got home and I realized I've seen this before. It's in Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back. When Luke goes to Dagobah and he's looking for Master Yoda and he comes across this little troll and Yoda is not telling him who he is. He's pretending to be a kooky local who just annoys Luke and bothers him and goes through his stuff. And Luke eventually loses his temper and is like, I, I want to see Yoda now. Take me to him. And Yoda goes, I can't train this boy. It was a test. It was a test in that moment to see if Luke could be graceful, if he could be patient, if he could be respectful of a person uh, when they were giving them their time. And I immediately connected those dots. I was like, all right, I kind of failed that test like Luke did. And so that's what we write about it. This is the way. It's what we talk about on the Walk the Way podcast. So I hope people will check it out. Yeah, that was in an, an article you wrote called This is a Test, which was great. And also has some wonderful imagery of whitewater rafting from someplace that I really love, too. There was another one that you did recently I wanted to ask you about, though, because it hit home with me. Uh, you wrote Don't Go about the Indiana Jones movie. And people can have their opinions on the Indiana Jones movie, but I, I remember when I read your piece about Don't Go and about how we deal with aging, and you've touched on this topic before with some other writing you've done. 
I remember the story they were talking about when they made this movie and they, they were trying to cut something because Harrison Ford was having trouble getting on and off the horse. And he finally just yelled at him and started because he's like, I'm an old man getting on and off the horse. Just let me get on and off the horse. I'm supposed to look like I struggle getting on and off the horse. Let me struggle with it. There's something in movies that bring and people do this to different things. And you talked about it a little bit. We don't deal well with the struggle. We like the struggle in air quotes when it's Ulysses or when it's some kind of epic journey. We don't do real good with the struggle in the little things in life like I can't move as fast as I used to. Or when I get out of bed, I got to stretch for five minutes before I try to go anywhere because I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever, and I don't want to hurt myself. We don't do good talking about those little struggles, but those are the struggles we actually do every day. It's not the big epic, you know, Iliad Odyssey stuff. It's those little things. And you did some writing about that, and that hit home with me with my own medical stuff. But that's the kind of stuff you talk about that I think folks really connect with because you don't hear folks talking about it enough. No, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm glad you were able to resonate with that, that perspective that I found from Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. It, you know, there are a lot of stories out right now about growing old and those stories have caused some negative feelings amongst fans of major franchises, whether it, you know, be Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and the newest star Wars movies, not being who they used to be or Indiana Jones sort of being a little bit slower, a little bit more cranky, a little bit more this and that in the latest dial of destiny film. And I, I understand why people want to live in the past. And I understand why they want to see the heroes the way that they always were, but that's not, like real, like they are in fact old now and you're going to see different sides of them in those older years that they're meant to give you strength down the road when you need it. There are older fans of these stories who see themselves in these heroes in their, their gray beard years and they don't feel as spunky as they used to or optimistic as they once were when they were, when they were younger heroes. Um, and I think that we got to be like down for that journey that other people are on within uh, fan bases for these stories. And also just be ready for the fact that our bodies are going to slow down. Our minds are going to wither just a little bit, hopefully, uh, by time, you know, we conclude our time here on this earth. And I don't know. I just I like stories that are well-rounded and realistic like that. So I'm always looking for those kind of kernels of of wisdom and truth in, in movies and writing about that for this is the way. Yeah, I am too. I guess we're going to have to get together and make an organization called middle-aged voices uh, at some <laughs> point in here, but um, uh, Stephen Kent love talking to you, my friend. We're going to link to all this. We're going to link to his sub stack, to the podcast, to everything he's got going. We'll get you an Amazon link to the book, which is available. It's really good. Really recommended. Even if you're not a star Wars fan, I think you'll find a good bit of it. Stephen, let folks know where they can find you, where they can follow you and where they can get all that good stuff until we get you back on her tell again. Two places, Twitter, Stephen underscore Kent 89, and on Substack. You can find me at thisistheway.substack.com. Put in for a free subscription and, and keep up with the newsletter. Yeah, follow all that stuff. Consumer Choice Center has been friends of ours for a long time. Good working relationship with them. Excited to see what you do with that, handling all their media. So that means I get to see you more often now, my friend, and that's a good thing. Yes, sir. Stephen, thank you so much for the time. Andrew, thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. Welcome back to Herd Tell. Okay, folks, we're going to end on a good note like we always do, but you may need some tissues for this particular one. This is in the Washington Post, uh, written by Kathy Free. We will link to it like we always do on the Substack notes. Make sure you subscribe totally free on the Substack, herdtell.substack.com, the Washington Post. Eddie McCarthy was watching the local TV news when he suddenly saw a familiar face on his screen, one of his high school math students. Teen's parents were desperately looking for a live kidney donor for their son, Roman McCormick, who had stage four kidney disease and nobody was a match. McCarthy, 35, said he didn't know much about Roman other than he was quiet and the only freshman in his geometry class at Whitmer Senior High School in Toledo. 
He always turned his work in on time. He was definitely one of my best students, but I didn't realize he'd been going through something far more serious. McCarthy, a father of two young children, said after seeing the plea from Roman's mother, Jamie read on the February, he decided he would get a blood test to see if he might be a potential match. Roman's kidneys were failing, and if he didn't find a live donor, he would end up on dialysis, meaning treatments lasting up to five hours, three days a week, with possible side effects including low blood pressure and nausea. Roman would likely have to wait three to five years for a deceased donor kidney if he was able to live that long, because more than 92,000 people are on the National Kidney Donor Waiting List. Roman's health problems started when he was a year old and diagnosed with a syndrome that I'm not even going to try to pronounce after he developed small pits on the side of his ears. The condition often leads to hearing loss and kidney disease. Doctors told us that by the time he was 10, he would likely need a new kidney, she said, the mother. Every birthday was bittersweet, knowing that Roman was getting closer to needing a kidney transplant. Roman's dad, Dan McCormick, said it was painful to see his son grow weaker as they went on, especially when he could no longer play soccer, his favorite sport. We've always co-parented and worked together for what was best for Roman, McCormick said. When his kidney function dropped to 20% in junior high, we knew it was time to get a kidney. His parents began an all-out search for a living donor when he was in eighth grade, creating a website, putting the word on Facebook, and telling anyone with an earshot their son was in acute need of a kidney. Several people volunteered, but nobody worked out. Then in February, their stroke of luck came after McCarthy saw them on the local news. I thought it'd be hard to see this kid at school every day knowing he needed a kidney without knowing whether I was a match, McCarthy said. He got the blood test at the local clinic, learned his blood type was O positive like Romans, and I decided to keep going from there. He soon went to the University of Michigan Transplant Center in Ann Arbor. About an hour drive from Toledo, the hospital was handling the additional testing for people who had Romans' blood type. I talked it over to my wife, Mindy. She was a little surprised, but she was also supportive of me pursuing it and doing more tests, McCarthy said. And at the end of June, he received word he would be a great donor match. I hadn't done the math, but I'm glad the odds worked out, McCarthy said. A little bit of pain was something I decided I could endure to prevent a kid from going on dialysis or even dying. Throughout the process, McCarthy decided not to reach out to Roman's parents or let them know he was the potential match he didn't want to get their hopes up. When the hospital determined in June the surgery was a go, staff called Red and McCormick to let them know there was an anonymous donor. When they got the news, they both wept. Then there was another round of tears when McCarthy called the parents to reveal he was the donor. Talked to Roman's dad first and told him, you guys have a donor. It's Roman's geometry teacher, McCarthy said, referring to himself. Then I called his mom. I'd have to say they were both a little shocked. Roman's parents went to the school several days later to meet McCarthy. McCormick said he remembers most of the day was just enveloping McCarthy in a big bear hug. We were all so relieved and appreciated he put himself in our shoes and he did what he felt he could do. Roman said he was also stunned to learn that the math teacher would be his kidney donor. He's a cool teacher. He sometimes gets out his guitar and plays it for us, but I wasn't expecting him to donate a kidney after I got a decent grade in his class. Roman was wheeled into the operating room at C.S. Mott Children's Hospital on July 19th, which is connected to the University of Michigan Medical Center where McCarthy was having his kidney removed. Each of the surgeries took about two and a half hours. Eddie's doing great and was able to go home after the surgery, said McCarthy's surgeon. Living donation shows the best of us people, Sung said. This is the surgeon. Most of the time, living donors like Eddie will get something out of this themselves. It's a positive thing that boosts self-identity and self-esteem. Roman's transplant went smoothly, and he was discharged from the hospital on July 26, said his surgeon, Michael Egglesby. Couldn't have gone better, the surgeon said. He's thriving, and his new kidney is functioning like a Mercedes convertible. Uh, Hold on, it's Toledo. Convertible's only useful in the summertime up that far north, but I digress. He's pretty much back to being a normal 15-year-old kid. Roman will be on medication for the rest of his life to prevent his body from rejecting the kidney, and he'll probably need a new kidney in about 20 years, noting that friends started to go fund me to start covering anything not covered by insurance. McCarthy's expenses were covered in full by the University of Michigan Transplant Center. Everyone in our family will forever be grateful for what Eddie did, Red said. That's the mother. We hope that his gift will give hope to others who are going through what we did and that they'll also find donors. McCarthy said he won't have Roman in his class this fall, but he's looking forward to giving him a high five in the hallway anyway. It'll be cra pretty crazy when I see him walk by. I'll be able to say, there goes my kidney. What a great story. If you're not already, please consider being an organ donor. If not in life, in death, if you can do so, please do so. I am. It's marked on my driver's license and my uh, pertinent information and all my documentation and my family knows that if something were to ever happen to me, if you can donate as a living donor, if you can just do something as simple as give blood or even give plasma, depending on your blood type, 
those things make a huge difference for lots of people. Please go and do so. You can find all that information on the internet. We will also put a couple links on the show notes if you're interested in things like blood donation and or transplant donation. Always somebody around that needs help. If you can help, help. That's how we end on a good note today. And that'll do it for this edition of Herd Tell. Thank you so much for giving us the most precious thing you have, your time. Maybe you'll give us just a little bit more of your time and a couple of your clicks because that's all it's going to cost for you to sign up for the Substack. Herdtell.substack.com gets you everything. All the new Herd Tells, all the good talks, all the twice on Sundays. Gets you all of my various writings, whether it's at Ordinary Times or at Fayette Tribune or wherever else I might post something. We're also starting to slowly add the archive stuff from my years of writing and some of the old Herd Tells are going to go on there as well herdtell.substack.com. In addition to that, however you're listening to this on whatever platform, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, we're even on some podcast platforms in India, whatever you're listening on, please make sure you subscribe and or follow on those platforms, whatever they call that. It's important for us. That helps us keep track of how you're listening so we can make sure we dovetail and keep track of y'all. And it also lets those platforms know that our little program is worth checking out. So we greatly appreciate you doing that. So, until we talk again on the next Herd Tell, wherever you are, across the street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you again real soon for more Herd Tell. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Herd Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late-night comedy-style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. they got over 100 episodes already, breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutan. Yes, I know, it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. Feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse? This is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcast or at www.thesweatypenguin.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.